Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So this morning we are picking up on our study on the book of Daniel. And uh, as we turn to Daniel chapter 6, um, it is important for us to remember that the word of God is alive. Amen. That, that the word of God is living, that it is breathing, that, that it's not a book that I read. It's a, a book that reads me. How many of you have heard of Daniel in the Lion's Den before? Is it, we're all, hopefully most of us are, are kind of in that, that group understanding what that is. So, okay, so this isn't necessarily new territory. Good. Um, how many of you can't count how many times you have heard the, the story of Daniel and the Lions? Then we, some of us probably fall in that category as well. And, you know, that's a, a story that you find in, in every kid's Bible, right? We, we like to tell those stories to kids just because it's exciting, it has animals in it kind of gruesome when you like actually stop and think about it for a minute. It's like, why are we talking about, you know, attempted execution to the, the third graders? But um, it, it's a story that, that is, is commonly known. They're exciting stories. They're amazing stories. They're miraculous. It's, it's a story that demonstrates God showing up and moving in a miraculous way. And, and who doesn't want to see that? One of the dangers when we, when we study parts of the Bible that we feel so familiar with is that we can sometimes assume that we know everything that there is to know. We can sometimes assume that, that I've heard the story a thousand times, there, there is nothing for me to get out of this particular time. And the fact of the matter is there probably is. I can tell you, I have, have read through the Bible multiple times. I, I have heard, listened to, seen this story acted out in skit form. I, I am well aware of how this story comes about. And yet, even as I was preparing for today, there were new things that, that came. And why is that? Because the Word of God is alive. It's applicable in every political and social climate. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Daniel is, is no longer the, the young kid that we met in chapter one, right? In chapter one, he was the teenager that had been forcefully taken out uh, away from his country, away from his culture, plopped into the middle of Babylon and said, you know, become like us. He's now around 80 years old. And you know, most of the time when we're thinking about Daniel in the lion's den, we don't typically think of an 80-year-old getting chucked into the lion's den. Most of the time you're thinking he's like in his 30s. Maybe he could have fought off the lions if he, if he needed to, right? But no, he's, he's 80 years old, and at 80 years old, he is still being faithful to God, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the consequence. When culture is coming to him and telling him what to eat, telling him what to eat, uh, watch what to pray and who to pray to, how to live, which political party he should serve. When culture is coming and telling him all of those things, does that sound familiar? 
<laughs> it does kind of sound a little familiar, right? When all of those things are happening, Daniel stands firm. And again, we, we find ourselves at this point of, of recognition that this isn't just an isolated event that happened to Daniel. This is something that happens time after time after time. This passage of scripture is not just for Daniel. It's not just for the people of that time. It's for us today. So we as, as followers of Christ can live and are living in the midst of chaos. Is there chaos in the world? <laughs> it's a yes, right? Uh, but we're told to stand firm. Not on the foundations of our best efforts, but on the foundations of the blood of Jesus Christ. As we just sang, our anchor through the storm. Our peace, our, our firm foundation, our source of hope, that is where we stand. And that's where Daniel stood. That's where Daniel stood from the very beginning of the time where he was taken from the land that he knew to this moment here where he's in front of yet another king who's in charge of yet another empire who's made yet another law that goes against what his God has told him. I, I recognize who you are, but my God is greater. Starting in, in chapter six, verse one. It pleased King Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel, that the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs but they were unable to do so. They, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Let that be said of us. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, make King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so King Darius put the decree in writing. The, the king gives Daniel this, this pivotal position within his, his administration because he trusted him because he saw something that was different. You know, if we kind of stop for a minute and, you know, we kind of know how history works, how the, the culture and the transfer of power typically would have worked in, in times like that. Back in those times when a, a, a nation or a king took over another nation, 
what was the first thing that they would normally do to everybody that was in charge there? It wasn't like, hey, let's have a tea party. It was slightly worse than that. Most of the time, everybody got killed, right? You just needed to know that you could trust the people that you, that you had in power. And so they, they killed everybody that wasn't. But not Daniel. Daniel is here now serving his, his you know, depending on whether or not uh, King uh, Belshazzar and King Nebuchadnezzar, we have potentially another king in there. So he's either third, serving his third or fourth king now. He is now in his second empire that he is, uh, is serving in. And he's not just part of the 120. He's not just part of the three who are over the 120. The king wants to make him the one. Wants to, to put him in that, that same role, kind of like Joseph was in, in Egypt. At 80 years old, we have a man of integrity, an, an outsider to the kingdom, an alien in the culture that he is living in, being recognized as being different. And he's still sought after because of that difference, because there's something about him that, that just brings success, that brings life. Let that be said of me that in areas of my life that, that aren't church-related, in my workplace, that, that people seek me out and want me to be in positions of authority because there's something different about Matt. There's something different about Jeff and Karen and Steve. There's something that's different because not who they are, but because of what Christ is doing in their life, because the Holy Spirit is seen through them. And, and, and somebody who, who has no church background, King, uh, in this case, King Darius, it's not like he's like, oh, I, I know that the Holy Spirit's at work there. No, he just says there's something different. Daniel has been working in politics for his entire adult life, and his rivals are unable to find anything wrong with him. That is unheard of. I mean, that's, that's like the unicorn of politicians. You hope that there's one out there somewhere, but we haven't seen it, that there is a politician somewhere that is squeaky clean, that there is nothing wrong, that there has never once been an evidence of corruption. There's never been a scandal. There's not that one email that came out six months ago. There, there's not any of that stuff. He's clean. He is the living example of what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5, 16, where it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's exactly what Daniel's doing. You may not know my God in heaven, but if you watch me, I'm gonna show him to you. Daniel developed enemies in his workplace, not because he was a bad person, but because he was good. If we have made the decision to follow Christ, we should expect that there will be persecution. We should expect that there will be hard times. So when a, a political law contradicts Daniel's devotion, we're gonna see in, in, chapter, in verses 10 through 18 how he responds.
Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, (laughs) I love this part, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. And then these men went as a group and they found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? Didn't you do that? (laughs) And the king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And they said, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. And when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. And then the men went as a group to King Darius and said, remember that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. And so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. Just think about that for a minute. May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. From somebody who doesn't even believe in this God, who's who's maybe never even heard of this God. Probably not true, because he's been around Daniel. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. And then the king returned to his palace, and he spent the night fasting and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could could not sleep. Daniel knew about the law. And so he goes home, and, and yeah, I mean, how many of us were like, maybe we'll just close the windows today? You know, I'll still pray, but, but maybe we could do it in the downstairs room instead of the upstairs room. No, that, that apparently wasn't the way Daniel was going to do it. Daniel is aware of the law, and he, he goes home, and he goes into his upstairs room, and, and I can just... I mean, let's, it doesn't tell us what, what exactly he was praying, but let's just think about it for a minute, what that prayer must have been like. It's like, all right, God, I'm here. <laughs> I'm praying. I, I remember what you did to my friends who were in the, the fiery furnace, and it sounds like we might need to pull one of those out again. So I, I hope you're ready. And so the... The satraps and, and the different officials, they come to the king and immediately the king understands what's happened. Immediately the king recognizes this has all been a trap. This has all been a setup. There, there was a, a reason behind this that was beyond anything that, that he was told or that he understood at the moment. Apparently irrevocable laws have a downside. It was, I was doing some research as to the, the thought process behind why we need to have laws that the king can make, but then the can, king can't unmake them. 
And, you know, it really creates a little bit of a problem, you know, for Esther, for example, um, when those particular laws are, are being made, when maybe the king isn't thinking very clearly. So, apparently that's done because the thought is that the king is divine and the king can't make a mistake. So, if the king can't make a mistake, then there's no reason for that law to be repealed. But... In this particular case, that, that didn't work out so good. So the, what is the, the king's response when, when he finds out that, that, that Daniel has to be thrown in? And we, we repeated it. May the God whom you serve continually rescue you. And what we see here, if you kind of look at it, is Daniel's survival is now tied to the king's understanding of who God is. Because the, the king has showed up and, and he's saying, if you serve the God that I hope you serve, may he rescue you. I mean, this king doesn't, doesn't know who this God is. He doesn't, doesn't really quite understand everything about him. But from everything that Daniel has said and, and everything that he's seen in history, he says, man, I, I sure hope that it works out the way that you say it's going to. What does this show us today? This shows us that when there is a law that contradicts God's law, God's law wins. That's the way we have to do it. And as we move on to this next section here, it's important to remember, while we know how the story ends, Daniel didn't know how the story was supposed to end when he's getting thrown into the lion's den. He's an 80-year-old man getting chucked in a hole with some hungry lions. I mean, logic kind of says how this is all supposed to work. I can just kind of picture Daniel thinking back and and maybe looking at that prophecy that was from Jeremiah that we read on the first first time that we were kind of going through this in chapter 1, where it says that that he knows the plans that, that he has for you. Plans to, to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And Daniel's like, this does not feel that way. <laughs> this does not feel that way. God, I have, I have been doing everything that you have asked me to do. Maybe this is me just putting my own, my own spin in it. it. You know, it's very possible Daniel just had peace. But I'm just thinking if I'm getting chucked in the lion's den... I'm kind of wondering what's going on. God was able to save Daniel. And in doing so, he was able not just to to rescue one man. In doing so, he's able to continually shape the direction of this nation. Starting at verse 19, it says, At the very first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. That's an important piece, and we'll come back to that. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's den? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angels and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and he gave the orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. 
At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. We're going to come to that point too. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. And then King Darius wrote to all the nations and all the peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves and he performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian king. Let's read that one more time. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. See, this this really wasn't about Daniel. That's what it was about right there. That letter that gets sent out to every nation, every tribe, every people, every language that is known in the Babylonian Empire. The name of God is proclaimed. The power of God is proclaimed. That's what it was about this whole time. Darius goes to the lion's den and the, the first thing in the morning, he's been up all night, he's been fasting. He, he's been praying however he knows how to pray. Hoping to find Daniel alive. Daniel, I, I hope that the God that you serve is as strong as you say he is. And the, the fact that, the king, that Daniel has survived now, now proves to the king. It gives him that, that proof that he was looking for that says, yes, this God is the real God. The, the gods of stone and the gods of silver and gold that we have been worshiping before, they wouldn't have done this. But this God is alive. This is the clear example that the king is looking for of how God is able to protect and defend his own. That's, that's the song that we were singing. Hallelujah, great defender. So much better are your ways. And at the very last verse of the chapter, it says, and by the way, Daniel not only makes it through this king, but he makes it through another one too. He makes it through King Cyrus. So if we unpack this this morning, governmental powers consistently want people to believe that God's blessings are channeled through their control. If we, we look at this particular example, the king says, just, let's just take 30 days 
and just pray to me, and I will be the source of, of everything that you need. I will be your channel to the divine. Now, has there been any law in America passed that we need to like pray to the president? No, let's, let's be clear. But if we start looking at, at some of the laws that are passed, is, isn't it true that, that sometimes the, some of those laws do start kind of making us think that all of the blessing that we have comes from the, the Senate, comes from the, the government powers that are in charge? Absolutely. You know, there, there was probably a political goal that was behind the, this decree when the king was, was considering it, when the people brought it to him, that, you know, he had just conquered this nation. He was a, a new king in the area. And, you know, what better way to unify everybody than to give them one, one point of worship? Himself. There's a problem with Pride. The, the next point that we see here is that there is no way to cram for a test of adversity. You have to prepare along the way. Daniel didn't know that this was coming. Daniel had no idea that this was the, the next great adventure of his 80-year-old life. But he had prepared from the very beginning that tomorrow is not promised. And so in that moment when he and his friends go to the, the overseer of all the young men who have been taken captive, he could have died and he could have said, you know, we'll just eat the, the red meat that's been sacrificed to idols. That's fine. It's gonna be okay and we'll just live to fight another day. No, he had drawn a line and said, this is where I will stand and God will either protect me or I will be with him in eternity. And so he makes that decision at that point. And then we see that decision being made when he comes and he interprets the dream. Either this is God speaking through me or it's not. And if it's not, then I will deal with whatever that consequence is. And we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and we see them making that same decision. This is the line that we will not cross. We will stand firm. And we see that again with Daniel. I'm going to pray. Christian character isn't formed in the moment of adversity. Daniel's character wasn't formed in the moment of him getting chucked in the lion's den. Daniel's character was built preparing for that time. Christian character is put on display in the moment of adversity, whether it's good or bad. If we are to pull out our prayer list this morning. I would say that it's probably a safe bet that a lot of us have a list of requests where we're asking God to make our circumstances look better. Where we're asking God to, to adjust some area of our life. And it, it's an interesting point for us to realize that Daniel's prayer wasn't that God would adjust a circumstance of his life, but it was that God would use him, his circumstance to make God look better. God, I, I ask you to take this hardship that exists in my life and that you would use it for the furthering of your kingdom. God, I, you know, 
Does that mean that it's not okay for us to pray and ask God to, to address the things in our life? Not at all. But it's important for us to have that, that type of perspective. Because I would say it's probably also pretty likely that when Daniel was praying, he said, if, you know, if we don't have to involve the lions, then that would be great too. But the, the fact of the matter is, is regardless of what happens, and this is like, like the prayer that Jesus had in the garden, your will be done instead of mine. There's a, an eternal perspective that we see here. And what we see in verse 24 is hard. And it's difficult for us to look at when we see that not only was it the, the lives of the, the advisors that get taken when Daniel's pulled out of the lion's den, but they, the wives of the advisors, the children of the advisors. They could have been 16, they could have been six, they could have been six months old. We, we don't know how old these, these children were, it doesn't say. What we do know and what we learn from this is that rebellion against God doesn't just affect us. Rebellion against God affects those who are closest to us as well. And, you know, let's be clear here. King Darius is not a follower of Jesus. He's not, Jesus wasn't born yet, but I mean, he wasn't a, a, a follower of the one true God. He was a pagan king, and this is what pagan kings do. Does that make it any more acceptable? No. But what we see here is that the decisions that are made affect family. So when it comes to application this morning, let the only complaint that people have against you or against me is how consistently I follow Jesus. Is how much I am in relationship with my God. We're to make our spiritual habits directed towards God, and they're to be unashamed if we're to be unashamed if they're witnessed by others. This is an interesting question that, that I was kind of asking, and it's a hard question to ask. Is my prayer routine so evident? that someone would be able to catch me doing it. The, the wise men knew where to go. They knew exactly where Daniel was. We know that day in and day out, Daniel is always praying to his God at this time in this place. And that's how we're going to catch him. And so the question then to us is, is our prayer routine, is our, our habitual need for Christ so evident that someone would be able to catch us because it is so consistent? I don't know the answer to that. The answer, actually, let's be, be honest. I do know the answer to that. The answer is probably no. Because we don't necessarily have that consistency. We don't have that, that uh, routine that exists. 
But we're called to, to have a, a spirit of unashamedness, to be bold in how we pray and when we pray and where we pray. And in doing so, that is what brings about the prayers like we see of this king. You know, we, we, talk, we have that other song that we sing where we're talking about, we shall overcome through the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That word of our testimony, our sharing our experiences, sharing what Christ has done in our lives is what brings about the type of nation change that comes from Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. That wasn't just King Darius's good idea. That came through the Holy Spirit-inspired work that Daniel made himself available to do. And that's available for us to do as well in, in each of the realms of influence that you have. Now let's be clear, not all of us are hanging out with kings tomorrow, right? But maybe you're around somebody else in your workplace. Maybe you do hang out with somebody that's in the local government. Maybe you do hang out with somebody who is the influencer for Fortune 500 companies. Maybe you do hang out with people that can make that level of change. That is the opportunity that the Holy Spirit is placing in front of you if we choose to take advantage of it, if we choose to participate. As we move to the communion table this morning, What we see in the, the book of Daniel in these six chapters, time after time after time, is God being faithful. Time after time after time, God being consistent. Time after time after time, God being mighty to save. He's mighty to save when it comes to the political side of, of the, the young men being brought into to the house and being uh, forced to do certain things that they weren't supposed to do. He's mighty to save in terms of the fiery furnace. He's mighty to save in terms of the lion's den. God is mighty to save in whatever circumstance you find yourself this morning. And as we come to the communion table this morning, we once again recognize that God is mighty to save that through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can all be saved. That salvation is available for anyone. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 27, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and we had given thanks, he broke, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. For you, specifically. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and we thank you for your body, for your body that was broken, your body that was given freely as a sacrifice to redeem me, that took the, the worthless self that I was, that, that gave value. Lord, the only value that exists in my life is that which you give it. 
And as we come to this table, as we come to the communion table, Lord, we recognize our need for you. Lord, we recognize the need for community. You to us, God. And that need then extends from us to one another, Lord, that we we need to be in community with you. Go ahead and eat. verse 25, it says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the new covenant. In Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about the the law of God that was given in the Old Testament. And, And sometimes when we look at that, we look back and we say, oh, this is there, that was inferior. That, that's something that has been done away with. We don't need to worry about that anymore, but, and it, which is true. We're not under that covenant any longer, but it wasn't inferior. That was God's plan. That was God's, God's perfect plan for that time. And it, it did a perfect job of explaining just how hopeless we were without him just how lost we were without him, just how big the problem of sin was without him. And then came the blood of Jesus. And then came the blood of Jesus that said all of those sacrifices that you used to have to make with with bulls and goats and sheep and pigeons and, and olive oil and grain and flour, all of those different sacrifices have been done once and for all, never again to be worried about through the blood of Jesus Christ, which is sufficient for you which is enough yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 